Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. Uh, So it is absolutely a privilege at any time that I have to be able to share the Word of God. And I really feel like God is doing something significant here this morning. I don't know if you felt the shift that took place when Sam kind of just went, right, that's it, we're actually just going to go somewhere this morning. Right. And, um, and I feel that maybe you're here today and you've come in and there's just actually, maybe you're unaware, there's a bit of resistance around you right now um, because the word that God has for you, the encounter that he has for you is actually so significant. So there's a bit of resistance to that. I'm feeling it, and I just believe that as the morning progresses, maybe it's already broken, maybe it's going to break at some point in the word, but lean in in your spirit, okay? And there's a revival that God is shifting and stirring and starting to awaken in our church, and I'm hearing it, I'm seeing it, I'm witnessing evidence of it here and there, and um, God is not a small God, he's not a spirit who uh, wants to be timid or um, insignificant, when God moves, it accomplishes great things. But, you know, Sam often says the only limitation that God ever puts on himself is us. Okay, so it actually requires that we lean in to the greatness of God. It requires that we actually push through some of the resistance that might be around our lives into the greatness of God. Do you know the fault is always on our part, not his? Okay, so we need to push into the goodness of God. We need to push into the greatness of God. So you're wondering why I have a garden behind me. The title of my message this morning is Lush. Can you say Lush? Lush. Lush is the way God wants us to live. My mum lives in Sanford and um, it's very brown at the moment. (laughs) But God wants us to live Lush. Say Lush. He wants you to live a lush, green, abundant life. Uh, About six years ago, when my second daughter was in grade one, I was tucking her in to bed at night, little Layla. And uh, that day, she had been to Petrie Old Town. I think it was either Petrie or Caboolture. I can't quite remember. But it was an Old Town excursion. And um, as I was tucking her in, and as we do every night, kind of debriefing the day, I said, how was the excursion? And she goes, Mum, did you know that churches used to be gardens? I was like, what? I'm pretty sure that, you know, in Europe, they're all big stone cathedrals, and, and they're definitely not gardens. But I said, what do you mean? And I asked her to explain to me what she'd experienced and processed in her spirit and in her heart. She said, well, in Old Town, there's a chapel, and it's an outdoor chapel. There's no, there are no walls, there's no roof, and the, the pulpit is a big boulder, and, and, the, and the paths, are, you know, the aisle is a big green aisle of grass, and, and she was just captivated by this concept of a garden church. And I started to think about that along the lines of Scripture. All the way through Scripture, the Bible tells us that our heart is a field, that our heart is soil, that our heart, depending on what we allow to grow in there, is a forest. And all the way through Scripture, it tells us that our hearts are gardens. And who knows that now, with Jesus fulfilling the law of the Old Testament, 
that now the Spirit of God lives in us and we are temples. So yes, Layla. Yes, Layla. Churches are gardens and gardens are churches, the church of our own heart. And so I want to talk this morning about the state of your garden and what grows there and, in fact, does anything grow there? (laughs) What is growing there? I'd love for you, if you've got your Bibles, to turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to switch between Mark 4 and Luke 8, these two accounts of the same parable. So you can actually get all our notes every Sunday on the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. They're up there live for about 24 hours. You can add your own notes into them, export them to yourself, and uh, keep them and share them with your life group, over coffee, discussion, whatever you like. It's all there. And actually, just a tidbit, there's always more in the Bible app than what we have time to share in the actual service. So make sure you jump on there and do that. Okay, Mark 4, let me read it with you. Um, It'll be on the screen as well. So it just says that he was by the lake shore teaching. This is Jesus and a big crowd around him. Verse 3. And he's teaching in parables. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. He scattered it across his field. Some of the seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow But the plant soon withered under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, 100 times as much as what had been planted. Now that is awesome. And Jesus said, anyone who has ears should listen and understand. Later, his disciples are like, what on earth are you on? What does this mean? Verse 13, he said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, you're not going to understand any parable. The farmer plants the seeds by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents the people who hear a message only to have Satan come and take it away. The seed that falls on rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, it doesn't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life and the lure of wealth. And the desire for other, other things, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as what was sown into their lives. So I want to teach you a little bit about how to read your Bible. When you read your Bible, you must always locate yourself within the story. Who am I in the story? Who is God in the story? And that's how you apply the word of God to your life. Okay, so in this story, the field is the kingdom of God. The the field can be our hearts, and we're looking at it from that perspective. In this story, we can either be the soil or the farmer. Okay, and we're actually going to look at both of those. And so first of all, in the kingdom, as the soil, we need to do four things. God Jesus tells us about the four types of soil that you can be. 
I want to tell you, you determine how lush your garden is. Today, you walked in, and some of you I saw in the spirit walked in with resistance because the enemy doesn't want you to produce 30, 60, or 100 fold. But you determine the condition of your soil. You determine. So we need to do four things. Jesus identifies four types of soil. You walked in as one of these types of soil, and you can determine how you're going to walk out. You can determine how you're going to walk out. The first thing we need to do is, if we're going to have lush gardens, is we need to guard against theft. We need to guard against theft. It says there in uh, the other uh, account of the same parable in Luke 8, the seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts preventing them from even believing or being saved. So the soil fell on the footpath, which had no soil, it was hard, and so the birds came and stole it. Often the Bible refers to demonic presence as birds. Often people who see in the spirit will see the demonic as birds. And so we see this, that the bird comes and sweeps this seed away before it can do anything, and in fact it can't do anything because it falls on a hard surface. So the antidote... The way to guard against theft is to have a soft heart. <laughs> Scripture tells us, Lord, replace my heart of stone with a heart of flesh. This world is filled with people who have hard hearts. We look at the story of the Israelites and God is constantly going, I have a lush promise for you but you are a hard-hearted, stiff-necked people and you will never inherit the promise of God because you have a hard heart and a stiff neck. So the antidote to being a footpath kind of person is to have a soft heart, to maintain a soft heart, to stay tender, to stay tender. I've noticed in my own life, okay, I'm just talking about me, I'm sure no one else in the room is like this, but as I get older, I have a choice to make. I can either get harder or I can get softer. Yeah. I've seen so many people get harder as life goes on. I've seen others get softer. We only have to look at the life of Paul in chronological order in the New Testament to know it is possible to get softer. This guy was as tough as nails when we meet him in the scripture. And by the end of his life, he is one of the softest people of Scripture. It is possible, church. No matter what life throws at you, no matter what you go through, make a decision to stay tender. Make a decision to get more tender. A soft heart. First thing you have to do is guard against theft. Soft heart, thick skin. Number two, you accurately have to diagnose rejection. Diagnose rejection correctly. It says in Luke, in Mark 4, the Mark account, the seed that foil, that, that's, sorry, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message immediately and they receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, it doesn't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or they're persecuted for believing God's word. Persecution, rejection. 
I remember when uh, we first became Christians as a family. My family had broken down, and um, I was living with my two younger sisters with my mum. And mum was saved by the providential hand of God who brought literally an angel across our path. And uh, he led her, it was a carpenter who was renovating our home, led her to Christ in our own home. And, uh, and I remember my dad, who was so opposed to us being Christians, he, he said all the things, maybe you've said them. You are being brainwashed, that church is brainwashing you. Have you ever heard that? You're a fanatic, you're crazy, you've been brainwashed. I heard this for eight years. Every time we visited him, the church is a money printing machine. Ever heard that one? He said all the things. So much opposition. And when someone you love persecutes you for the life you've just found in Jesus, it's very, very difficult. When someone, when you know in their own brokenness is wallowing in their own pain and you know their answer is Jesus, but they will not receive it, and in fact, more than just not receiving it, they're persecuting you for it. That's a really hard place to be in. Yeah. I got to a point where I thought, even God can't save my dad. Anyone got people like that in their lives? <laughs> even, you know, this person is even out of God's reach. It's literally impossible. It's a lost cause. Years and years and years of this. Years and years, and I remember the day I got a phone call after Sam and I had only been married, maybe it was within a year, we hadn't even been married a year, that first year of marriage, I get a phone call on a Saturday from my dad, and he says, I'm coming to church with you tomorrow, and I was shocked, I was shocked, and uh, I was one of the backing vocals that morning, I remember I was um, on this side of the stage, and he walked in the back, sat in the back row, kind of where Campbell's sitting, and I, you know, who knows I wasn't focusing on the lyrics that morning. Who knows it was all about that guy in the back row for me. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is huge. Then, you know, we sat with the creative team, so I didn't sit with him. I didn't know what was going on in his heart the whole way through the service. At the end of the service, they made a salvation invitation, which they always do. I didn't know what happened because I was backstage. I didn't know what was going on with my dad, but who knows, I'm interceding like mad. Like this is a big deal that my dad's even here. At the end of the service when I came out, he wasn't there. And I was like, oh, okay, so he's left. But after the service, maybe 10 minutes later, he, came, he, was, he, he was in front of me. I was like, oh, wow, where have you been? Well, I was actually in the new decisions lounge with a man named Perry because I raised my hand and made a decision. When Perry asked him, what brought you to this point? He did not say it was the great worship and the awesome preaching, although it all was. When Perry asked him, what brought you to this point? He said, you know what? Watching my son-in-law and my daughter for the last eight years. That was what he said in that room. I want to tell you, you need to diagnose rejection properly. If you're going to keep the word of God sown into your heart so it bears a lush garden that produces 30 or a 60 or a hundredfold, you need to diagnose what rejection truly is. They're not rejecting you. They want you to be right. They want to believe. 
that leaving a life of promiscuity is the right way to do it because they're hurting and they're broken. They want to believe that doing marriage God's way and sticking to commitment and covenant is life-giving because they're broken and they're hurting. They want to believe that there is hope for their finances and could sacrificially giving possibly be the way? Well, I'm going to watch you and persecute you and test you for years until I finally resign to the truth that God's ways work. They're not rejecting you. They're watching you. They're testing you. There is a God-shaped hole on the inside of every single person that needs to be filled and wants to be filled. Luke said, Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, he said to his disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. Anyone who rejects you is actually rejecting me. It's actually not about you. I'm sorry. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. If we are going to bear a lush harvest, we need to properly diagnose rejection. Because if rejection gets into our hearts, this is not going to happen. We're going to walk away from this. Stay strong. Number three, I need to harness my affections. And I think if COVID has dished anything out, it's in this realm right here for the church. Harnessing our affections. Luke 8 says, the seed that fell among the thorns represents the ones who hear the message, the trees and the plants start to grow, but it's squashed out and suffocated by the lure of wealth and the worry of life. Life gets around us and squishes out our fruitfulness. It chokes out our fruitfulness. In the Mark account, it says it's crowded out by the worries of life and the lure of wealth. Under this, I felt the Spirit prompt me to identify two things that our affections can fall into. And the first one is distractions, the worries of life. Distractions. These things that the enemy uses to take your mind out of the lush things that God has coming your way. The distractions of life. And as I was thinking about this, I thought of the scripture in Timothy that says, there are people who have a form of godliness but no power. God forbid, Lord, spare me that I would ever lead a church full of people who look godly but have no power. Who have grown trees with no fruit on them. It goes on and it says they're forever learning but never understanding. The distractions of life cause us to stop being fruitful. We look the part, but we have no power. And the other thing that we need to look at is our patterns, our cycles, our habits. So we need to look at the distractions. We also need to look at our own patterns. As a leader, I've learned to watch a person's patterns. You can learn a lot about a person by looking at what's behind them. Not that we ever box people and restrict people, but it gives you an idea of what journey you may be walking with them in the future. What are your patterns? What are my patterns? Are my hardships always someone else's fault? Have I found a problem with every job, every church, every friendship group, 
Is it always someone else's fault? Am I easily offended? Do you know the only common denominator in my patterns is me? And if I'm someone who's easily offended, that's a pattern. Offense, actually, this revelation I had this week, is that offense is actually rooted in insecurity. And insecurity is rooted in a poor identity. When my identity is in the wrong things, I am insecure because my foundation is not firm. My identity needs to be in Christ. When my identity is in Christ, I have security. But if it's in the wrong thing, it's on shifting sand. And in the moment offense comes, I'm all over the place and insecure and it's always someone else's fault. And so I have to have a look at the patterns in my own life. I have to manage them and change them. Once is a mistake, twice is a pattern. And a mistake repeated more than once is actually a decision. We have to look at our dis- the things that are distracting us and we have to address our patterns. We have to, every single one of us have cycles. Every single one of us have patterns. And so we need to plan and manage. Life is cyclical. You need to plan. You need to plan. You need to soberly address your past patterns and maybe manage them, change them, address them, take responsibility for them. Because if you don't, they're going to crowd out the fruitfulness of God in your life. If you don't, you'll have a form of godliness with no power. We need to address our patterns. The distractions and the patterns in our lives may be familiar, they may be safe, they may even be good, but Sam always says, is this God's best? It may be good, but is it God's best? And what you've done till now has gotten you to this point. But if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting what you've always got. Einstein said, we can't solve our problems with the same mindsets we use to create them. And Jim Collins in his book said, good is the enemy of great. Good in God is not good enough because God has best for you so you can be a garden that grows up but is crowded out by the worries of life and the lures of wealth distractions and patterns and we determine the condition of our soil we determine it number four he then describes the soil we want the good soil, the soil that produces a lush forest, a lush harvest. We need to cultivate commitment. Transformation comes through commitment. An intentional growth mindset. A hunger for growth and change. A commitment to it at all costs. We need to decide and declare to ourselves, I will see the Lord in the land of the living, no matter what it costs me. I will live in the lushness that God has for me, no matter what comes against me. 
No matter what tries to rob from me, it will not prevail. No matter what tries to persecute or offend, it will not have an impact on my soul. No matter what distractions or patterns I need to deal with, I will see the Lord in the land of the living. I will live a 30, 60, 100-fold type harvest in my life. And in Luke 5, he actually defines it for us. He says, honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a harvest. In the message, it says, they are good hearts who seize the word and hold onto it no matter what, sticking with it until there's a harvest. Do you know, we have to stick with it. There's a lot that happens to a seed under the soil that no one sees. And it's really an inconveniently long wait. (laughs) If you've ever planted a garden with a child, you know every morning they're like, where's the tree? (laughs) Like, sweetheart, we just planted planted the seed yesterday. Yeah, but where's the tree? (laughs) Who knows that the seed is really busy under the soil, just no one knows what's going on under there. It's dark under there, my friends. It's lonely under there, my friends. Do you know the seed has to break under there on its own? John 12, Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will never produce a harvest. There's a breaking that has to happen. There's a dying that has to happen. And we need to stay committed until the harvest comes. The Mexican proverb says, what, what tried to bury me didn't know I was actually a seed. We need to commit. We need to cling at all costs. We need to hold on to that seed until it produces a harvest. A good, honest, hard, a good-hearted person, committed, faithful, patient. That's how you produce a 30, 60, 100-fold. I want to tell you it's not easy It's not convenient, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Everything in God has a synergistic, a spiritually synergistic effect. One seed produces 30, 60, 100 fold. That's a story of transformation. I say it all the time. We have amazing people in this church. We have amazing people in this church, but I promise you none of them are clever enough to have brought about the transformation in their own lives that they now live in. It's only because they were committed. They stuck it out. They clung to it. And now they are trophies of the grace of God. We point to them and go, only God could do that 30, 60, 100-fold thing. As the soil, we need to guard against theft. We need to diagnose rejection properly. We need to harness our affections and we need to commit. As the farmer, as we wrap up, if we flip it now, flip the roles, you are now the farmer in your world. You are now the one casting the seed. Two things. As the farmer, we sow indiscriminately. I think it's amazing that a farmer who knows how farming works would throw seed on the footpath. But he did. He did. Why? I don't know. 
but he did. You need to sow indiscriminately. You know, there are people in your world who have hard hearts. Sow anyway. Sow anyway. It's actually not your prerogative to decide who gets the word and who doesn't. Sow indiscriminately. Don't be Jonah who thinks you can pick who hears the word and who doesn't. Sow indiscriminately. Ecclesiastes tells us, sow in the morning, sow at noonday, and sow in the evening, because you don't know which seed it is that's going to bear fruit. Sow indiscriminately. It's not up to us to withhold. Number two, harvest indiscriminately. Harvest indiscriminately. In John 4, Jesus tells us, lift up your eyes. I love it. Lift up your eyes. In the New King James, don't say that there's still four months before the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're ready for harvest. In the Passion Translations, it says, look at all the people coming. Now is harvest time. Their hearts are like vast fields of ripened grain ready for a spiritual harvest. But too often we're we're grieving over the seed that's fallen on the rocky soil or or the footpath. And over here there's someone who is a ripe harvest, but we're busy, devastated about this one that we don't see this one. Or maybe this one is a little bit unlovely to us, a little bit difficult, a little bit unlike us but they're ready. We need to harvest indiscriminately. You know, in leadership, Sam and I came across this principle, this leadership principle, quite by accident. We call it the shadow principle. The shadow principle in leadership. Often, there's someone who comes in and they're this bright, shiny, steal the room personality. And our human nature is drawn to that kind of person. Wow, look at you, like you're awesome. And I've found really often that that person is often like a shooting star. They're like, Phew! But what we call the shadow principle is that there are usually two or three or five people in their shadow who are the true superstars. But we're focused on this, enamored by this whatever, which is great, let God deal with them, that's fine. <laughs> but what about the ones who are actually ready, the ones we weren't looking at, the ones who are really ready. You know, over the last three years, two years, uh, our daughter Maya, who's been in youth ministry, she's in grade nine now, has been casting seed in her school for two years and nothing. Come to you, come to church, come to camp. I'll pay for you to come to camp. No. <laughs> and who knows as a pastor's kid that's like she's going mum what's wrong with me what am I doing wrong for two years crying what am I doing wrong I'm like sweetheart they hated Jesus <laughs> don't take it personally alright but to her it really hurts she's casting the seed for two years praying for her friends fasting for her friends. And for some reason, term four of the most ridiculous year in all history, 
She comes back to school and on the first day of school this term, a friend who she hadn't even invited, <laughs> who she hadn't even really noticed in these sort of terms says, can I come to youth with you on Friday? She's like, this girl had been watching Maya invite others, had been following Maya on Instagram, had been watching Maya play bass at chapel, had been hearing the stories of my broken family who is now restored in Christ. This young girl comes from a broken family and has hope. Maya, can I come to youth with you? She comes and makes a decision. The next week, week two. Week two, Maya says on Sunday night, driving home from church last week, I'm going to start a prayer meeting on Monday morning. Can you drop me to school at seven? I'm like, sure. She sends out a few messages. They all get together out in a school car park at 7 a.m. somewhere and pray. One of her other friends, who she had not invited, says to her the next day, can I come to youth with you on Friday? Why? We don't know why these things happen, but you sew in the morning, you sew in the evening, you sew at moon, noonday because you just don't know. You just don't know. And usually it's going to be the ones you weren't expecting. So we sow indiscriminately and we reap indiscriminately. Thank you for listening. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We encourage you to tell someone about your decision and pray and read the Bible every day. We also recommend attending a church in your local area. We have many City Point Church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We are so excited to see you there.